Joshua chapter 24. We're going to start reading in verse number 14. One more time, if you please rise and stand in honor of God's word for our initial and primary reading of it today. Now, therefore, fear the Lord and serve him in sincerity and in faithfulness. Put away the gods that your fathers served beyond the river and in Egypt and serve the Lord. And if it is evil in your eyes to serve the Lord, choose this day whom you will serve, whether the gods your father served in the region beyond the river or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Then the people answered, far be it from us that we should forsake the Lord to serve other gods. For it is the Lord our God who brought us and our fathers up out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery, and who did those great signs in our sight and, pre and preserved us in all the way that we went and among all the peoples through whom we passed. And the Lord drove out before us all the peoples, the Amorites who lived in the land. Therefore, we also will serve the Lord, for he is our God. But Joshua said to the people, you are not able to serve the Lord, for he is a holy God. He is a jealous God. He will not forgive your transgressions or your sins. If you forsake the Lord and serve foreign gods, then he will turn and do you harm and consume you after having done you good. And the people said to Joshua, no, but we will serve the Lord. Then Joshua said to the people, you are witnesses against yourselves that you have chosen the Lord to serve him. And they said, we are witnesses. He said, then put away the foreign gods that are among you and incline your heart to the Lord, the God of Israel. And the people said to Joshua, the Lord, our God, we will serve and his voice we will obey. So Joshua made a covenant with the people that day and he put in place statutes and rules uh, for them at Shechem. And Joshua wrote these words in the book of the law of God, and he took a large stone and he set it up there under the terebinth that was by the sanctuary of the Lord. And Joshua said to all the people, behold, this stone shall be a witness against us, for it has heard all the words of the Lord that he spoke to us. Therefore, it shall be a witness against you, lest you deal falsely with your God. So Joshua sent the people away, every man to his inheritance. You may be seated. <clears throat> Joshua in his old age seems kind of uh, ticked off a little bitter he doesn't really believe the Israelites when they say that they're going to serve the Lord he questions it he calls it well this rock I'm going to put this rock here and this rock is going to bear witness that you're all liars is essentially what he's getting at what would you say if you knew that you had one last opportunity to give your last words on earth? Some get the opportunity to do that. Others don't. But don't you think if you had that opportunity, you would give it everything that you had? <clears throat> that you would say the most important thing? This is Joshua's last opportunity to address Israel before he dies. He's an old man now. Having followed Moses as one of his key leaders, having taken over as the leader of Israel after Moses died, uh, the one that walked the Israelites right into the actual physical promised land. He saw a lot of miracles. He saw a lot of victories. 
He saw the fall of the wall of Jericho, the conquest of all the surrounding areas. Joshua was a, he was a good leader. He was a great leader. Amen. His closing words to the people of Israel were the ones that we just read. Do away with the idols of your forefathers and your neighbors. Don't worry about what dad and mom and grandpa and grandma did. Don't worry about what your neighbors and your coworkers do and say. You and your household worship the Lord. Joshua said to his people in verse 15, I'm going to read it again. And if it is evil in your eyes to serve the Lord, choose this day whom you will serve, whether the gods your father served in the region beyond the river or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. So there it is, your forefathers and then your neighbors. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Now, this makes a great bumper sticker and it makes a great refrigerator magnet. Some of you, like my wife and I, may have a decorative element in your house that has that. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. The question that I'm asking today is, is that actually true? Are our homes really serving the Lord as is commanded in the scriptures? You see, back then, to make this kind of declarative statement... It was rather abrasive. It meant that you would do things different than anyone else. You wouldn't honor the pagan gods of your forefathers. You wouldn't honor the pagan gods of your surrounding neighbors. In, in, in doing that, it would create hostility. You see, back then, it was seen as honorable to be inclusive. Does that word sound familiar? It was honorable to be inclusive to you know if you you bring over a neighbor for dinner they bring over their gods and you pray to their gods at dinner so you don't offend them and then if if grandpappy had a had a particular god that he honored as a part of the family like you do a little your little homage and you do your little thing and you respect and follow the rules of that god because he was grandpa and it was sort of like this way of showing people this like camaraderie, like I want to be inclusive. Oh, it's your, well, if you're my friend, then I'm going to accept your gods in to be a part of my gods. And we're just going to have this buffet of gods. We all know how buffets turn out. So it's dishonorable. It's, it's, it's mockery for a neighbor to come over and say, can we pray to Chewbacca before we eat and for you to say, no, not in my house, we don't pray to Chewbacca. We pray to the Lord God of Israel. We pray to Yahweh. We pray to Jehovah God. We don't pray to Chewbacca. Okay? That's mocking. That would be an insult you would be called names. You would be exclusive. You're like, well, is your God better than my God? Yeah, <laughs> he is. He's the only God. He's the only breathing, living God. Yeah, yeah, he would consume yours with fire and has. Joshua was a, a, a military leader. Uh, his final words exemplified that. He didn't get up there and give this like, 
nice, cushy, thank you for choosing me to be your leader speech. He gets up there and he makes a call to war. By saying, as for me and my house, he is drawing a line in the sand. And he is saying, no other God shall enter. That's a call to war. Luke chapter 12, verse 51. Do you think that I have come? This is Jesus. Do you think that I have come to give peace on earth? No. I tell you, but rather division. Don't see that on a lot of coffee cups. For from now on, in one house, there will be five divided, three against two and two against three. They will be divided, father against son, son against father, mother against daughter, daughter against mother, mother-in-law against daughter-in-law, and daughter-in-law against mother-in-law. Whoa. Well, what about that Christmas, that verse we read at Christmas, Luke 2.14, glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace among those whom he has pleased. I thought Jesus came to bring Peace on earth. Well, read that verse clearly and slowly. He came to bring peace on earth among who? Those whom he is pleased. Who is he pleased with? Well, without faith, it is impossible to please God. So we know that the people whom God brings peace to are those who receive Christ in faith. That's believers, sons and daughters of God, those who have been adopted into the kingdom, those convert, truly converted, regenerated Christians, all right? They are the ones that they've come to bring peace. Now, that doesn't mean that we're never going to argue with the church potluck. No, not necessarily. We do that sometimes. But what it means is the peace that's being brought is, it, is not an absence of relational conflict or military conflict. It is a peace between God and man. Amen. That now we're not in enmity towards each other. We're not at war with each other anymore. But now we're on the same side. There's now peace between God and man because of Jesus coming. But naturally, Jesus coming and providing peace between God and man would do what? It would create division amongst men. Because some would choose to follow the Lord in their household and some will not. And that will create division. That will create problems. <laughs> this is why Jesus says, Luke 14, 26, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters and, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Now, what does that mean? He's not calling you to hate your family. But he, what he's saying in context is, is that your love and your commitment to him must appear as hate in comparison to everyone and anyone else. That if your family pulls away and tries to pull you away from Christ, you must stay true to number one. Our primary and most devoted loyalty must always be the Lord. Listen, love my children, love my wife. They can't save me. <clears throat> Stating this verse. What does this verse mean? Stating this verse to be true for our homes is not saying this. It's not saying take your family to church and let the paid vocational ministers do all of the teaching to the adults and the children once a week. It's not what it's saying. 
It's not saying do generally good Christian things with your family as your schedule allows. It's not saying pray over your meal occasionally. That doesn't sound like war to me. This is saying let's go to war. It is a commitment to clean your house of idols. Yes, those things that we love near and dear, if they have become more important than the Lord or they're distracting us from the Lord, maybe that device needs to get shut off. Maybe that book needs to close. Maybe that family activity needs to be restricted because the Lord is our God. It is a commitment to dethrone the ways of the world. We're not going to run this house like the culture runs their house. We're going to run this house like the world runs their house. We're going to run this house like Jesus tells us to run this house. It is a commitment to teach and admonish each other and our children. It is a commitment to live in such a way that sometimes can be abrasive to culture. The culture is going to apostate, pull away from the truth, and we must stay there. It is a commitment to flip our house to a sanctuary, a place of worship that, that is every bit as much a place of worship as a church building is. It is drawing a line in the sand and saying, we're not going to go to our neighbors and compromise to their ways. We're not going to go to our forefathers and ancestors and compromise to their way just to keep everybody just amicable and keep everybody happy. But we are going to draw the line in the sand and say, you will not pass. You will not pass. You will not pass. This is this arena that I am in charge of. This arena is God's. He's the king. Joshua, in this text, you could tell he didn't really believe the Israelites meant what they were saying. He basically took their commitment and what they were saying, used it against them. They were like, we'll worship the Lord our God. And he, he said, well, now that you've said it, it's going to be a testimony against you when you don't. What every nice leader says to his people. In other words, I don't believe you. And then he said, no, we're, we're committed to the Lord, Joshua. And, and, and he turned, and what does he say? He was like, oh, this is so great. You guys are awesome. He, he turns around and he says, then get the idols at your house. He, sa he said, then get rid of your idols. He didn't believe them because the idols were in their house while they were saying these things. Oh, we're serving the Lord. Oh, yeah. While you worship everything under the sky in your home, you're paying lip service. <laughs> He's basically saying, your testimony that you're giving today, even this rock, this rock's going to testify against you. That's like his way of mocking them. This rock heard what you had to say. And it's going to be a testimony in court when you fell. Judges, chapter 2, verse 12. This isn't long after this conversation. And they abandoned the Lord. Hmm. And they abandoned the Lord, the God of their fathers who had brought them out of the land of Egypt. They went after other gods from among the gods of the peoples who were around them and bowed down to them. And they provoked the Lord to anger. I wonder why Joshua was so ticked. 
I wonder why he was so, I don't know, he didn't really believe what they said. Because he knew. He knew that while they were paying him lip service, we will serve the Lord in their house. They were worshiping every living thing that they could get their hands on. He knew it. And that's why he's like, I can't control you guys. That's for me and my house. We will serve the Lord. And that's the place we have to come to as Christians is we can't be worried about what everybody else is doing in our circle and what everybody else is doing in the church and what everybody else is doing in our neighborhood. We got to look at our home and say, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. And you know what? That's not, it's going to be, I'm going to look different than this. I'm going to look different than this over here. It's gonna be, I'm going to look different than this over here. And I got to be okay with that. And you can't control what other people do. You can't control their commitment to the Lord. All you can do is teach and admonish and pray. Teach and admonish and pray. Teach and admonish and pray. And then you are responsible for what happens in your house. These Israelites, sadly, they didn't stick to it. But we must. I hear a lot of people complain about the erosion of culture. It's so easy to see. We don't just have evil in the streets. We have it We have it in offices. We have it in buildings and companies and political spheres and all kinds of stuff. Now, oftentimes where we, where we land is we often blame these people. We blame politicians. We blame corporations. We blame schools. We blame everyone but ourselves. The moral decline of our culture didn't start with the removal of prayer from our schools or somebody taking down the Ten Commandment monu monument. It started in the church. When those things happened, it was just a manifestation of the work that had already started. It was just a sign of where we were eroding to. So goes the church, so goes culture. The truth is, as a church, we lost our voice. Because our voice has no power anymore. No one listens to us or takes us seriously. And here's why. Our voice as Christians only have power when we speak God's word. When we speak forth the truth of this book. That's when our voice has power. Not when we walk and go, I have a prophetic word. Or I have this. Or God told me. No. When we speak forward out of this book, that's where the power comes from. And we stopped talking about this book. And then we, what we started doing is, well, I'm going to cherry pick some verses to tell people how awesome they are and how God's going to bless you. And you're so amazing and he's going to give you everything you ever wanted. And then we started using the Bible in a blasphemous way to, to compel people to chase their own idols. No wonder we lost the power in our voice. And so now if you have somebody that speaks with the power of this book, it's almost like they're John the Baptist in the wilderness with like covered in sackcloth and, and hanging out with the animals and they're weird and they're eating bees and they're eating wild boar. It's like to preach the word of God unadulterated, unculturalized, you're weird. I got a little bit of... I got a little bit of, like, bitterness in my voice right now. Like, you're weird. Like, no one likes you. We want to separate ourselves from you. You're one of those guys. 
No, I'm just preaching the book that is so far removed from the truth of this culture that it's so alienated and happened slow. It's happening fast now. It's like speeding up. But like it's happened over time to the point to where we don't even know what the truth is. And we don't even know how to identify what we see in culture and match it up with the word and say, that don't line up. We don't even know because it happened, eroded so slowly over time. And we let it because we didn't have power in our voice. We didn't stand up and say, yo, yo, it's not in here. Yo. It's not in here. We still quote from it, but we don't teach it, live it. The erosion of culture starts from an erosion in the church. And the erosion of the church started from an erosion in our homes. Research every known kingdom to man. So goes the home, so goes the culture, so goes the church. I'm just going to get right to the point. Our homes are a mess. In broad, fathers have abandoned their post. This takes a lot of different forms. It's not just that some have left the family altogether. Some are present physically, but they're not present mentally or supportively or physically. Some fathers may be there physically, supportively, but they're not supporting financially. Some fathers may be doing all that, but they're not supporting emotionally. Uh, they're not supporting the system. Some fathers may be doing that, but they're not, they're not leading spiritually. Mothers have, been, have struggled being content with God's design of the home, and so they fought against, which, by the way, is a sign of the curse. You will constantly strive for control, and you will not achieve it. Children have been allowed to, in some cases, rule, to take over, and in a lot of cases, be worshipped. Now we abandon everything we know about our lives to follow them around and, and, and ask them what they want. And all of a sudden, the house is being ran by their opinions and their, the way they, their worldviews. Christianity has been reduced to nothing more than a convenient side piece. We're losing our kids. Recent studies show that over 70% of high school students active in the church when they're in high school abandon the church and their faith. It's, not, it's, it's key here not just to understand it's about going to church. I hate when people, you get what I'm saying. They abandon their faith when they go to college. 70%. Now, that's essentially like this aisle over here, this row of chairs, you all good. You're saints. The rest of you gone. How can we be surprised by this? If all our exposure that our children get to the truth and the word of God is 30 minutes on a Sunday morning, and that's not consistent. This, what we do here on Sunday morning should just be a starting place, a supplement. Think of us as like the NOS energy drink to your, to your spiritual journey for the week. Woo! And then you go. But then 
The job's not done. The job is then yours. The average student will spend 174 hours a year in any particular subject, math, science. This totals altogether of 1,044 hours of instruction in all subjects per calendar year on all educational matters. If you take your child to church every week, and none of us do that, you have vacations and stuff, but if, if you take your child to church every week, they will get 25.5 hours max of teaching time on the Bible a year. 25 versus 1,044 in everything else. And then we wonder why our kids don't know what they believe, and they leave the faith. Let's be honest. They never really had a firm enough understanding to make a decision on what they believed in the first place. They're just stepping outside their home, and they're showing what they believed all along. We condition them. We're all guilty. Like I'm not telling, talking to you guys. I'm talking to myself. We condition them to treat this like a religious exercise, not a radical lifestyle as it should be. Sometimes in fear that we would push them away. Listen, our hearts are naturally inclined to sin. All of us will naturally drift from the truth if we don't have someone to hold us as a reminder and accountable to fear of the Lord. We shouldn't be afraid that our children would rebel against the Lord if we make them go and sit under the teaching of the word. We should only fear that their souls are not under grace. We should only fear standing before the Lord and saying, I was more afraid of hurting my kid's ego than I was bringing them under the truth. We can't be shocked at 70% faith dropouts being true. We can't be shocked. We're not doing our jobs. We are asleep at the will. We are in a war. Have you noticed that? It's not someone else's backyard. I'm not talking about California. And I'm not talking about uh, somewhere else in another country. It's not someone else's backyard. It's ours. Let me just talk about Republic for a second. When McDonald's was open, there was a police officer that would stand in the, in the lobby, as does now at McAllister's, when the kids got out of school. Was this so that they could hang out with some bros? No, because the kids would run over the restaurants and a lot of bad stuff happened. Accounts of bullying, unlike I have ever heard. Like, I think the word bullying is way overused, but when I was in school, bullying was, it wasn't what I see today. My own kids have, have been been involved in on the recipient ends of this being cornered in bathrooms substance abuse in in the school suicide and mental health issues i i have in our community alone we've had way too many one suicide is way too much i think we've had like four or five in the last couple of years we're in a war. Are we awake yet? We're losing our kids. 
Who's going to stand up and fight for him? Who's going to stand up and fight for their souls? They need covering. They need discipleship. And we can't fix every single situation. But we can start in our own home. What's the answer? I don't claim to know how to fix it all. But I want to focus on some things that I know we can do a better job. We as a church have hit this topic of flipping our homes twice in the last three years. And we're going to do it again because, honestly, we still aren't getting it right. This time, you're welcome. I'm going to push harder, (laughs) much harder. We're going to get it right this time. This church is committed until we get this right to the reinstatement of family worship in our homes. Every great revival and reformation started in homes. In the coming days and weeks and months, I am committed to equipping you as well as learning to do this better myself. This is non-negotiable. We must bring the gospel to the forefront and restore our homes back to what they need to be. For the sake of the glory of God, for the sake of the gospel, for the sake of the truth, for the sake of our marriages, for the sake of our kids, for the sake of the global church. Why? Why should we worship in our homes? Well, here's a few reasons. Number one, it brings glory to God. That should be the only reason that compels us, but we, there's, there's some others. Number two, it centers the home on Christ. How many of you, you don't have to show your hands. I'll show my hand. How, how many of you, when you're not worshiping together, and I'll, I'll describe what that looks like here in a little bit, kind of paint a picture so you're not overwhelmed. How many of you know that when you're not worshiping the Lord in your house, like, like your priorities just get out of whack? Amen. Uh, it's me. Your priorities get out of whack, and all of a sudden things that should be important are not important, and all that, okay? It just happens. So when you worship in your home, what happens is you center everything on there. Here's another benefit. Like, if you have to, if you have to miss corporate worship, it's not a big deal because you worshiped all week in your home. So when, like, that, you know, that, that tournament comes up or that trip comes up, and it's, it's not so devastating to the spiritual progress of your children because you've already been worshiping in your home. You've always been teaching them all week, and so it's not so detrimental to their progress. It encourages Christian character. How many of you know the hardest place to be, uh, have integrity, is where? Your home. And so it encourages that because now we're all holding each other accountable. Uh, It encourages peace in the home. How many of you could use more peace in, in your home? Thank you, front row honesty. Maybe that's why you're on the front row. You're like, give me more Jesus. <laughs> Chaos in my home. Fix it. I'm right with you. More peace in my home. It creates a bond in the family under a common purpose. Are you struggling to connect with some people in your home? It creates a bond. It trains children for corporate worship. Okay? We can train them so that, like, like, it, what's crazy, okay, just think about the, 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 the history trend of the church. It's fascinating to me. Back in the day, you didn't have kids in youth ministry. Everybody came to the sanctuary. Like kids, like if I would think about that with my kids, I'm just talking about my kids. 
nuts. Like, I'd be embarrassed, loud, you know. But that, that's what they did on Commonplace. And now we kind of like separated them because it was like, we got to put these behaviors over here in this room because it's distracting and stuff. But, but what happens if we, tr- if we start worshiping in our homes, then our, then our children say, oh, I take this seriously. And you get to do the discipline thing in your house rather than in front of the entire church. Now, some of you may enjoy that. Uh, discipline you're trying in front of the entire, that's your thing. But I, like you get to teach them, this is how you conduct yourself in corporate worship. Number seven, reinforces spiritual headship. In homes where you have two parents, dads, when you sit down and you call the family to worship, ain't nobody questioning who's in charge here. Not from a dictator standpoint, but from a, hey, I'm the spiritual head, and I'm going to guide this family. I'm going to serve this family faithfully. Number eight, it provides discipleship to the whole family. This is the commandment that God, or the commission that God, Jesus gave us. Number nine, it establishes a foundation that could affect generations. What if your kids... This becomes a habit, and then your kids say, I want to go do this with my kids because it was so impactful to me whenever I was going through it. So what does family worship look like? Some of you right now, you're like, oh, my word. Like, uh, we're going to put on robes, and we're going to walk in, and I'm going to replace my windows with stained glass, and, and we're going to, like, and, and we're going to put an altar, and, and, like, I don't know. i got to learn how to preach. Like, that's not, that's not what I'm talking about. Don't overwhelm yourself. Here's what family worship could look like. Really? It's organic. It's what your family needs. We're not going to systematize this. It it would be foolish to do so. I'm not going to sit here and say, here's your itinerary for this week. Uh, No. Some of y'all would take that itinerary. You'd throw it out in the trash can before you left the building. Because you're like, this won't work for, for us. You need an element of prayer an element of worship, maybe sing a song or whatever. You need an element of reading or teaching the word. This could last, depending on the stage of life you're in. How many of you know stages of life change? Some of you got got small kids. Are you going to sit around the dinner table for an hour? (laughs) We're just trying to make it three minutes. Three minutes before somebody doesn't try to kill someone else. Three minutes. Some of y'all, you got three minutes to make this happen. That's okay. Some of y'all got 30 minutes. You got older kids. I'm telling you right now, props to Pastor Troy and his team. I sat over here in live view class, and the teens were a part of our class where we were talking about foundational stuff. I'm telling you, those teenagers, my word. That asking smart questions, they're running circles around each other trying to, and they get it. I'm seeing the fruit of our of your labor and the Lord's labor and your team's labor and those kids. They're just sitting there rattling off sound doctrine like you wouldn't believe, asking smart questions. And the adults in the room are sitting there going, I went to, I had, I've had some of the adults be like, oh, my gosh, this is kind of intimidating. These kids know their stuff. Imagine what we could accomplish if we weren't just too busy for three minutes around the dinner table. Maybe five. Maybe you grow into ten. Maybe some days it's ten, some days it's one. 
All you can manage to get out is a prayer for your food. But it's worship, right? Everybody stops and says nothing is more important right now in this moment than what we are doing corporately as a family. And that is to, for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. I don't know enough about it, the Bible to teach it. Okay, read it. Just read it. What if my kids ask questions I don't know? Write them down. We'll ask somebody that does. That's why the church provides eldership. That's why we have elders, because then you go to the elders of the church, and they help you find the answers in the discipleship process. That's how this is supposed to work. So when dad's like, I don't know the answer to that. Well, I need to go to my elder. My elder will help me, disciple me into that. Family worship. We should grow into it being something that we do very frequently. If I may say, once we've matured, maybe even daily. Here's why I say that. Acts 2. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and a fellowship to the breaking of breads and the prayers. And all came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking, breads in their, breaking bread in their homes. Here's what I see. I see, like, if we can... If we can mature in this, and I'm telling you, I get it. Some of y'all will be like, all I can give you, Pastor Josh, and you're not giving it to me, you give it to the Lord. All I can do is like um, one time a week for like five minutes. All right, let's start somewhere. I, I don't, like, don't cheat yourself. Push yourself, but don't push yourself too much because some of you are wired to where, oh, I love this idea. This is what we're going to do. This is what we've been missing, and you're going to, like I said, put stained glass in, and you're going to wear robes, and you're going to be like, you know, you're going to swing the sensor when you walk in. Like, don't go crazy because in five days, you're going you're gonna to burn out, and it's not going to work, okay? So ease into this. Fill out your family. But, man, they need to know this is what we're doing. And we're going to respect the Lord because he deserves our respect. We're not going to talk. We're not going to goof around. We're not going to be playing on tablets. The TV is going to be off. And our, 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 our moment right now is even if we just read one verse, we will do it in absolute and utter respect before the king of kings. See how much you're teaching your kids right there? So let's start somewhere. That may be different across the board. Let's grow into it. What's the end goal? I don't have a formula. Once you put a formula out there, it becomes a religious thing. Once there's a formula out there, some of you that are natural rebels will rebel. Calling you out. Some of you who are rule followers will just make it a religious thing. Do what's needed for your family and let it be spirit-led. You're not in this alone. Starting June 1st, Wednesday night, we're going to start a Wednesday night service. This will not look like Sunday morning service. Our job as church leadership is not to do all of the ministering, but to teach and equip you to be ministers in your environments of influence. So we're going to have a regular church service here at the building. 
We will be modeling home worship as a corporate unit. It is a way for us to get used to it, to ask questions, to begin finding a flow so that we can implement it in our own homes. Each Wednesday night, we will have a meal together. The sanctuary will be set up with tables, so we will come and we have a communal meal. We will pray together, we'll worship together, we'll study the word together. It will not be some long, drawn-out thing. And then we're going to have a word of teaching regarding home worship. And we're going to do that. I don't know how long. I don't know if it's just a summer thing or, heck, it may turn into a long-term thing. I don't know. I'm not committing to anything yet. I just want to say we want to help you. And so Wednesday nights, we're going to pave way. I know some house churches meet on Wednesday nights. I'll talk to you guys about that later. I, I, I want to leave room for you to still be able to do house church and this or whatever, whatever fits you guys. But we're going to be here to do, the, to do that on Wednesday nights. We'll do workshops. Uh, we got one workshop plan, social media use in teens. There are so many things out there. Uh, we need to talk about them. What are they? What are the dangers? What are the caveats? And so we'll talk. We'll have workshops like that. There is something for everyone. Don't disqualify your involvement in this just because your family situation isn't what you think is the model situation for this. Let me show you why there's no disqualification. For two-parent homes with kids, this is obviously right up your alley. For single-parent homes with kids, whether you're a single dad or a single mom, you still have the responsibility to train up your child. And you need the corporate body more than ever because you need that support and you need that reinforcement and, and and you just need that prayer just as two parent homes do by the way i think single parents are some of the toughest people i've ever met some of the strongest toughest people i've ever met we want to be there to support you for couples without kids that intend on having kids no better time to start a habit as a family than before your kids arrive how many of you know when kids arrive there isn't nothing that disrupts your normatives than that so establish the pattern now. For couples without kids in the home, whether they are grown and gone or you just don't have children, you still have the duty to worship as a family because where two or three are gathered, that's a family. Okay, you worship with your spouse. What about kids that come to church but their parents don't come with them? There's an opportunity there. Maybe you invite that family over. Maybe you invite the parent and the family over to your family worship. For singles, you should gather, you should find opportunity, for, first of all, to develop the pattern of worshiping in your home. But then we as couples and families, we should be reaching out to singles and inviting them into our family worship experiences. It can be a lonely world. There's no reason for anybody in the church to feel lonely. The whole thought with this is this. Here's what my, family, my family's plan is to do. We're going to do this as a family, get good at it, get routine, and then we're going to start. We're going to come up with a night, not, not the same night every week, because, again, every time, we, every time in our day and culture where you start turning it into, well, this is an every Thursday night thing, people rebel, because then, then, then tournament season or softball season or basketball season or something starts up and then your Thursday nights are gone or speech and debate and you're, you know, all that stuff. Okay. You, you never can tell. So what we're going to do is we're going to be like, okay, we, we got nothing going on on Tuesday this week. 
So we're going to pick a family. We're going to have the Tillmans come over, okay? And and what we're going to do is um, we're not going to make this weird. It's not going to be like a cult. Um, (laughs) I can't believe some of the things I say. Um, It's not going to be like a cult. It's like, would you guys want to come over and have dinner with us? And, and of course, since we're in the same church and we're kind of doing the same thing, we could be like, you know, we're going to do, would you come over for a family worship? But maybe you might invite somebody from the community or, or somebody that's not doing this. You'd be like, we want to come over to dinner, but, but like before my family eats, I just want to give you a heads up. Like we pray for each other and then we, we read the word and then we eat. And then you invite, and then, I'm telling you, you know how many people out there right now that will not walk in a corporate worship door that would walk into your home? And read the Bible with you and pray. You know how people would say yes to that that will not walk in a church right now because of whatever reason? So many opportunities. And so what I see is this organic movement. Not on Thursday of every week, I have to do this. No, invite a family over, have minister to them, have conversation. Like, I get it, our lives are busy, and sometimes that one Thursday night, you're like, I just want to take my shoes off and watch Steve Hardy, Harvey on Family Feud and not do anything. And you're going to have days like that and make sure to take those days. But where's the worship too? Saturday night, bring somebody over. Friday night, bring somebody over. Go to coffee. Have worship at coffee. I don't care what it looks like. I'm not trying to systematize it for you. We just need to be a community that is constantly worshiping the Lord because as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. And that takes more to live a radical lifestyle of Christianity. That takes more than just showing up to church on Sunday morning sometimes. Thank you for the five people that agree. Like, it takes more. It is a lifestyle. Like, it's where I live from. And we need encouragement. We need to be edified. We need to be lifted up. We need to be admonished. We need to be sometimes be held accountable and be disciplined even. I'm not saying, like, come here, you know, you're in trouble, write 100 sentences. I'm saying that sometimes a brother needs to get in a brother's face and say, you're being stupid. Stop. And we don't need to be, like, sensitive about that. We need to be men, and we need to own up to our mistakes, and we need to grow up and, and face the hard things. <clears throat> All right. Organic, spirit-led, Wednesday night starting in June. If you want to come out in 10, I don't care. I'm... We're doing the service whether we have five people or we have 50 people. I don't care. Okay? We'll be here. We'll have a meal. Who likes food? Yeah. Yeah. Amen. There's a reason why the early church always gathered around food. Okay. All right. I'm going long, so I'll hurry up. One last thing. We want to help you. This year, some of you may have noticed that we haven't made an announcement on kids and youth camp yet. Here are some reasons why. The camp we went to last year was great. The price has been increased to $475 per student. Listen, I understand it takes a lot of money to put on a camp, but we have a lot of multi-children families. And when you go 475 times two, three, 
four, five. Man, that gets, that's as expensive. That's more than a family vacation, right? So the church in general also loses about three or $4,000 a year because we eat the cost of the gas and the van rentals and we pay for the leaders to go. And sometimes people end up not being able to pay for their kids. And so we end up covering the cost. And so we eat about three or $4,000 a year. We just simply can't do that this year, okay? Second, the feedback that we got from the students was, man, we had a blast. It was so much fun. I didn't learn that much about God, though. I actually learned more about God at Live View and at uh, youth group on Sunday than I did the whole week I was at camp. So it doesn't really fit our MO. It doesn't fit our thing. Now, I know $475 to send your kid away for a week is, a, is sometimes worth it. Okay? <laughs> and you can still do that. I'm not telling you you can't send your kid to some camp. But here's what we're going to do. We began investigating some options. Almost everything that we came across cost way too much. We looked into putting our own camp on way too much, and we do not have the staffing to support it. So I'm like, God, what do you want to do? You're not providing us the means for these things, so what do you want us to do? So let me introduce you to family camp. Friday, July 22nd through Sunday, July 24th. Cost is $70 per person. It will cover food and activities. A family of 6.78 people can go to family camp for what it would cost to send one child to summer camp. Here's how family camp will look. Here's our itinerary right now. Beginning on Friday night, we're going to have a church family dinner at 5 p.m. up here at the church. Everybody's going to be involved. So some of you who your kids were not old enough to go to camp, they come. Some of your kids maybe were too old. Maybe like they went to college and you're like, I still want to go to camp. They can still come. Church family dinner. We'll come have a dinner on Friday night, and then we will have a kickoff service. All right? So we'll have a worship. We'll have a message. We'll have a kickoff service on Friday night to set the tone for the weekend. On Saturday, we're going to have a Blackstone. Who got a Blackstone and loves Blackstone? <laughs> Who knows what I'm talking about? All right. Uh, baking off the Blackstone. 9 a.m., we're going to have a Blackstone breakfast and Devo with the family. And we're going to do that up at the park, uh, the rec center. At 10.30, we're going to do Live View Summer, which is just a class. Uh, and then at noon, we're going to have lunch at the pavilion. And at 2 p.m., we're going to have activities at the recs. So we got crafts indoors for people who like crafts and stuff like that and then outside we're going to do sports so we're going to we got the fields we got the whole place we're going to do kickball we're going to do softball we're going to do flag football we're just going to hang out have a good time this is come and go by the way so if you're like hey i got something going on at 2 30 you can come come back all right two activities of the rec 5 p.m we're going to have a pizza party all right 6 p.m., we're going to have family breakout devotionals. So this will all be in line with our MO. We're, we're, we're going to separate into families. Maybe two families can get together, do a devotional together. We'll provide you with all the material and training on how to do that and leadership as well. So we're going to be there to help you. On 7.30, we're going to have family movie night at the AMP. All right, so we rented the amphitheater out. We're going to have a movie set up there. We're going to sit around and have popcorn, have a good time, relax, all that sort of thing. On Sunday at 9 a.m., we're going to have family devotional and prayer at the park. And then our 1030 worship service, rather than being in this building, will be at the amphitheater. Okay? So we'll have our service out there. We've done that before. It's always a great experience. 1230, we're going to have lunch and family park day. We got, uh, help me out, we got uh, inflatables, balloon lady, 
Uh, the, uh, was it the same awesome balloon lady we had at the? Yes. Yeah. The awesome balloon lady. Um, we. Cotton candy. Troy might be on the cotton candy. Um, maybe we'll do a dunk the pastor in a dunk tank. I don't know. We'll see. Uh, so we'll have all kinds of activities going out the park, and we will wrap up family camp with a swim party at the, aqua, the aquatic center like we did um, last year. And so it will be a weekend full of activities for the whole church, for everybody in the family, and we'll go to camp together. Now, you can still send your kid away to uh, a camp somewhere. That's fine. I, I, that doesn't offend me in any way, shape, or form. But I, we, wanted to pro- oh, it's gone. Uh, we wanted to provide something for the family that fits our vision and fits who we are and doesn't cost an arm and a leg. 70 bucks for the whole weekend with food and stuff I think is very reasonable, and, 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 it's, and the church will not take any hit from it. It's going to cover everything well. And so we want to invite you to family camp Make plans now if this sounds like something you and your family want to be part of. Uh, And again, we'll have service out there and all that stuff. But what we want to do is we want to establish a habit of healthy homes. Healthy homes that's being developed out of worship in our homes. Okay, I know. I see the tension in some of y'all's faces. How are we going to get there? How am I going to convince so-and-so? How are we, uh, how is this going to happen? I'm telling you, we have got I know there's a lot of reasons and excuses that you can provide yourself of not to do this. Every single one of them are invalid. I, I, let me take that back. Let me say that fairly. They may be valid, but they are not bigger than what needs to be accomplished through this. Okay, your excuses may be very valid, and that's, that's fine. And, you know, sometimes we do. We make invalid excuses just because we're trying to avoid accountability, but we all do that. But I want to establish a culture. Uh, how does this fit into house churches? Well, I'll talk to house church leaders. Like, uh, I don't see it changing that. Um, um, some of y'all, it, it may actually help it grow and, and move. Uh, some of you will still need to gather together in, in collectives and groups of people and worship in that capacity. I just want this to be organic. I don't want this to be systematized. I don't want me to stand up here and tell you how to do it but I do want to equip you to do what you need to do in your home to follow through on this and empower you. Like you're coming in with a tool belt and you got, you got some tools in it maybe, and, and, but you got, I want to put, put some good craftsman tools. How many of y'all craftsmen? Craftsman tools. Black and Decker? Klein. Who? Klein. Klein? Who is? Klein? Oh, okay. Well, whatever. So, like, Black and Dagger, Klein, whatever. Like, we want to help put the tools in the tool belt, Ryobi, you know. Just kidding. (laughs) It's a joke. Um, So, we want to, right, Steve? Yeah. Um, So, we want to put the tools in the tool belt so this becomes a thing. We want this to be organic movement, not systematized. Does that make sense? We... We're losing our kids, guys. We got to wake up. Culture's getting them. We must train them up in the ways of the Lord, and when they grow old, they will not depart from it. That's scripture. And we've done a bad job. I've done a bad job. It's time to turn it. And shift it 
and to flip our homes to what they originally were intended to be like, what the early church looked like, meeting in their homes, breaking bread. There's nothing more important. And guys, as the world becomes more antagonistic to the gospel, we're going to need each other. We're going to need each other. We've got to have each other's backs. And if we're coming to church on Sunday morning and we don't know the person sitting next to us and we just feel like we're another face in the crowd and there's no real like connection there, I mean, you're just going to float out and never, never land. But real relationship and discipleship, it's a lot built over the dinner table. It's built in our homes. And this needs to be the NOS energy drink to your week that just gets you started to doing that in a committed and well-functioned way. Would you stand and rise with me? Father, we thank you in Jesus' name. Um, although cutting costs was a big reason of why we planned family camp, it went much deeper than that. And I, I just wanted to talk on that for a second. Um, when I was at camp, um, it was even so far removed with some of the kids that they would just take the kids off and they would go do their own thing. And the youth pastors weren't even really a part of it. And it was almost like we were getting a vacation in ourselves. But I realized there was a big flaw with some of what was going on. And a lot of it has to do with what Pastor Josh taught on today. I realized that the youth had no involvement with us. And uh, they just it was almost like they were being sort of put away. You know, like, okay, we're going to go keep them busy. You know, we're going to babysit them. And, and, and I hated that. And then as we started praying over it. God really started to convict some of us on this, on this fact, like, what should camp look like? And to go along with Pastor Josh's sermon, the reason we planned this wasn't to cut cost, although that was a great, awesome benefit. The reason we planned this camp church is because it's going to give you an opportunity to do what Pastor Josh preached in his message this morning. It's going to give you parents an opportunity to go alongside your children because we have fun activities, but we're also going to have excellent preaching and good word and opportunities for you to be able to walk alongside your teens and be an example to them, to be, to be able to stand up for your families, and they're going to get to see that. That's what this is. This is an opportunity to go have fun, create memories, but also be with them. Not that we're sending the teens off to not be heard from and get that break. It's a chance to be able to go stand alongside them, worship with them, and be the example. As much as I would love to be the opportunity to, to, you know, I love teaching your children, but it's not my responsibility to be the spiritual mentor for your children, it's y'all's. And that's what this is about. So I really, really encourage you guys, sign up. It's worth it. It's worth it for your kids. It's worth it for your family. If you're looking for a place to start, Wednesday nights, and this is another great opportunity. So you get to save money, but you also get to spiritually deeply impact your family. So I really, really encourage you guys to do it, okay? I love you all. That's a good word.